RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Good morning and you are with Marie on Reality Check Radio. This morning I am now joined by Tom O'Sullivan, Hawke's Bay Farmer and General Manager of Advocacy for Campaign for Wool. Morning Tom, how are you? Good morning. Good. We haven't, caught up. we haven't caught up for ages because we do actually kind of know each other a little bit through my other life, the day job, as I like to call it. And I wanted to get you here because I had noticed a number of stories that have been cropping up in the papers around wool. But firstly, for our listeners who may not be in the rural space or may not be aware of Campaign for Wool, what is it and how does it work here in New Zealand? Okay. Yeah, well, Campaign for Wool is a global organisation. We're actually a charity. We're a trust and we're a charitable organisation. And our mandate is quite simply raising the awareness and education of wool, or, or, or probably more specifically than just wool, actually woolen products. It started in 2010, so it's been running about 13 years now. Our patron is, well, it was Prince, but now King Charles III. So he is our patron. The main countries involved are the UK, Australia, South Africa, and New Zealand. We also have a small connect, a bit of a connection with North America and Canada and, and the US as well. So yeah, as I said, our mandate's absolutely 100% focusing on education awareness of why, why consumers should be choosing natural woolen products over competitive man-made plastic fibres, I guess, in a nutshell. So what are some of the challenges for farmers out there? Because I think that there is a lot of misconceptions yep. from those that are in town yep. Yep. about what the wool industry is really like because they all see all the merino advertising yep. and, and the cost of merino clothing, but that's only a very, very small part of it. So what yep. is the reality on yep. the farm for most wool growers? Yeah, well, a lot of people ask me that question, Marie, and I guess it's just trying to put how, how have we got in this position and, what to, and, and put a bit of context around it. So you're right with regards to merino. Merino is a finer fibre, so it's all wool, but merino wool is a very, very fine fibre, and it just comes from one breed of sheep, which is merino sheep, and they can only really be run on very hard to the arid, dry country in the South Island. You, there's a number of animal health issues and reasons why you can't run them on, on the majority of farms in New Zealand, I guess. And of our total clip, if we're producing roughly around 120 million kilos a year in New Zealand, not even 10%, about 8% of what we produce in New Zealand is merino fine wool. And I guess the, the fact that it's a very fine fibre means that it's, I suppose in layman terms, it, it means it's not prickly. It doesn't, you know, you put it against the skin, it's very soft. And, and so therefore the majority of that product has been put into garments, baby outfits right through to Italian suits. And, um, and you know, to give uh, listeners a feel, from a farmer's perspective, so those farmers farming merino sheep, they were probably getting, this is just uh, ballpark figures, maybe $15 per kilo of wool that they produce at the farm gate, whereas a strong wool, so the rest of the wool in New Zealand, so well, the majority, 85 to 90% of the wool we produce in New Zealand is what we call strong wool, or crossbred wool is another term for it, and that comes from a variety of different breeds of sheep, mainly Romney and Perindale are probably the two biggest breeds for strong wool. It's a thicker fibre, and, and at Farmgate at the moment, farmers are probably, I mean, depending on the quality of wool, but it's only around $1.50 to $2 a kilo, and it's probably costing them $2.50 to $3 a kilo to actually produce it. So for every one kilo of strong wool a farmer produces today, it's actually costing them a dollar, and a lot of farmers might be producing 20,000 kilos or 30,000 kilos, so it's twenty dollars or $30,000 animal health costs now. For those guys growing strong wool and that's for the vast majority of the wool we produce in New Zealand which as I said is strong strong wool or crossbred wool so so yeah unfortunately for the majority of the wool the situation at the moment is really really dire there are breeds of sheep called uh, one of the, one of the breeds is a Wilshire sheep which naturally sheds its wool in the paddock so 
the rest of the sheep, they need to be actually shorn, the wool taken off. But there are breeds of sheep which naturally, the wool just drops off every year in the paddock. And there is quite a movement now of a lot of farmers who are seriously looking at potentially moving to those breeds to try and eliminate the cost, which is wool. Mm. So that kind of sets the scene a little bit of where we are today. But a lot of people ask me, okay, well, so that's most people I talk to, whether they're r- rural or urban, say, oh, oh, that's terrible. You know, how have we got so bad? And it is terrible. It's a terrible situation. I guess whenever people ask me, how do we get to this situation? Oh, two really main reasons. One reason, and maybe the lesser reason, is the fact that potential, well, I, I mean, my independent view of the wool industry, um, I've only really been involved in the last three or four years. The industry itself, wool used to be the backbone of the economy. And even my grandfather, when he farmed, you know, back in the in the 50s, wool was so valuable that for soldiers' uniforms that I know my grandfather paid off his mortgage on his whole farm in one year in 1953 when they had the Korean wool boom. Boom. And my dad and his young brothers, running little kids, were running around picking the wool off the barbed wire fence. It was it was that valuable. So that was kind of the peak. But this is a bit of a generalisation, but really since then, the wool industry in New Zealand has largely rested on its laurels. So it's been poorly led, in my opinion, and, and it has largely rested on its laurels and just allowed, just kind of tinkered along. It hasn't been... It hasn't been proactive with the way it's positioning and marketing wool, or and there hasn't been a lot of innovation. There's been a there's been millions spent on I mean R and D. There's been millions spent on research. I I say the wool industry's had a massive capital R, but a tiny little D. Nothing's developed, and if mm. you don't develop cool wool products that consumers love and are prepared to pay a premium for, then obviously the the industry continues to decline. Decline. So that's that's one of the reasons the industry in my in my View that the industry is so poor is that the industry itself has done a very, very poor job over decades and it needs a new direction. It needs new, fresh thinking and leadership. But the other probably bigger reason is the fact that consumers globally, Marie, have been um, absolutely, and we're all guilty of it, have been captivated by uh, buying products made from man-made petrochemical-derived or oil-derived synthetic products. So whether that be, and carpet's a good example because a lot of New Zealand strong wool goes into carpet. But I know that the carpet figures at the moment currently is about, of all carpets sold in New Zealand, it's only about 15 to 17% is woolen. The rest of it is plastic. Whereas, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it was the other way around. 80% of carpets sold in New Zealand was wool. And, you know, uh, 20% maybe was 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 man-made or synthetic. So there's been a massive groundswell of consumers going, oh, well, you know, it's cheaper, it sounds great, it's plastic. And that's just flooring. But if you look across, you, you look across, every aspect of our lives, whether it be clothing, you know, things that we're, the, the building environment, the building industry, you name it, there is plastic everywhere. And we have been captivated consumers globally and and, and industries with using petrol, petrochemical derived plastic products. But the big problem that we're now realising, and I think it's a growing groundswell, we're starting to really see, unfortunately, the terrible damage that we've done to the environment via those purchasing behaviours. There's many threads there that we can unpick, to use the pun. The first one is how did that swing happen to begin with? So what drove consumers away from woolen carpets, natural wool carpets, to something like a synthetic? Like, I remember the advertising campaigns, the rhino campaigns and the like. Was it just strictly advertising? But But I'm from that sort of space. It takes more than just a slick ad campaign to sway people's opinions. So in your opinion, what did it? Oh, look, I think, yeah, 
I, I think a big part of it was probably this, you know, the, um, that sort of disposable cheap position that so many plastic products offer to consumers. All of a sudden, we were getting offered. We had a natural wool carpet, using the carpet as an example, a natural wool carpet, and it was a price. All of a sudden, there was this new amazing product made from man-made fibres, sounds amazing, quite a bit cheaper, does an amazing job, you know, and I think the margins for the companies um, selling those products were very big. So obviously making big margins, you can put, you can invest a lot of that margin back into marketing and positioning. And, and so I think a lot of it's around that. And even today, I think, you know, the margins made off plastic products is huge for some of these multinational companies. And they have poured billions, literally billions of dollars into marketing, branding and positioning and have completely left maybe natural fibres, including wool, well behind. And But in, as I said, at the same time, the industry... I believe, has also been guilty of not innovating and not positioning wool as a superfiber that it is, a natural superfiber. I would say, and interesting, even with the campaign for wool, I was fortunate when I joined the campaign as a disgruntled cheap farmer in 2019, I joined to see what I could do to turn this around. And I was fortunate in that first year that His Majesty, was Prince Charles then, came out to New Zealand, King Charles now. And it was interesting talking to him because he said, oh, you know, Tom, we, I've been... Campaign for Wool started in 2010. He said, I've been going on about this, or King Charles, I should say, as a true environmentalist and very much a, a big supporter of farm and, and natural fibres, and so a huge proponent of, for wool. But he was saying, oh, I've been going on about this since we started the campaign in 2010. He said to me, look, it's only really now, nine years down the track, that I'm starting to feel we're getting a wee bit of traction with consumers starting to wake up to the damage that's being done through through those purchasing behaviours. And I think, Maria, it would be fair to say that since 2019, the last four years, that has grown massively. And we're seeing it. So so after my, probably my opening part of this discussion has been kind of negative on where, what, how we've got to this position, but that's reality. The positive out of all this is we are starting to see some major seriously global trends where consumers and industry and brands particularly are, are starting to see the damage that aligning themselves with petrochemical or plastic products the risk to the brand, I guess, because it's, and we see it with the car industry, look at the, you know, I think it looks fairly obvious that the, the days of the petrol car or the petrol engine are fast disappearing and moving to electric and environmentally friendly transport options. So that's happening. And I think we're going to see that the same with a lot of products. But the job is, it won't happen by chance. The challenges to the New Zealand wool industry is to recognise there's a massive opportunity, produce, support companies to produce innovative, cool beautiful products that they we can charge um, a premium to, market them well, and um, we believe there will be a, there is a huge groundswell of certainly young consumers who will be buying not just on not on price as much, more on what's it made of, does it complement the environment? Is it gonna is it is it good for our future or not? Mm. The other aspect of that as well is when it comes to the environment, and that's one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was the hypocrisy, because currently with our governance, that we have a government and a previous coalition that theoretically were in it for the environment and they're very conscious about wanting to make the best environmental decisions and being very focused in that respect. And as farmers, you've been feeling it because, yeah. you know, with all of these different farm gate initiatives that they're putting into place to ensure that farmers protect things like waterways mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. yet, and yet, 
when a large contract comes in to do flooring for schools, the length length and breadth of the country, they take it to an American company using a synthetic flooring. How on earth can this be good for New Zealand? Yes, it was a ve- it's been a very topical subject. In some ways, whilst it's a negative sort of outcome and Wall didn't didn't specify it for that tender specifically, it has what it has done is it's raised this this issue massively across the country. And I think it's been a, a real talking point, not just on for, for rural communities, but for, for, for everyone in New Zealand. So in that sense, Marie, I think it's been a it's been a good thing. But I guess there's a bit of a backstory. To balance a little bit, I, I mean in my role with the campaign for Wall, I am spending a lot of time talking to those in Wellington, those in the in the corridors of power about this situation. You're right, on the face of it, you know, here we have a government that's introduced a hell of a lot of compliance, particularly in the rural um, sector. Uh, and I know firsthand, having been a farmer myself, so a lot of red tape compliance about what we do, uh, measuring what we do, ensuring that we're, you know, waterways is a good one, but all sorts of things across, you know, farm environment plans. So everything these days is detailed on what happens on a farm. So a hell of a lot of compliance to support that sort of green agenda that the government has. Yet it does look very hypocritical to then turn around and specify a plastic petrochemical-derived carpet made by a US multinational company in rural schools. I mean, no wonder it it went down like a lead balloon with the rural community. The reality, though, with that tender, and I have spoken to the Ministry of Education who ran that tender, was they did say, look, one of the problems was there was only really one wool option that was put forward. And it wasn't particularly well done. So it made it very difficult for them to specify that wool and option. So, but therein lies is a bit of a case study there for the wool industry is that, yes, I think I think what it's done is it has heightened, heightened the issue very much across New Zealand, across, you know, in all homes and uh, businesses in New Zealand as a talking point now. But I think in the corridors in the of power in Wellington, I think they are very much aware now that they have to be very careful about mm. what they're doing to make sure that they are walking the talk environmentally. Mm. So, as you said, only one wool option was supplied for that tender. Mm-hmm. But my argument is, is as procurement, surely with a contract that large, surely they would be going to the likes of Cavalier, Godfrey Hurst, whoever's manufacturing carpets in this country, and saying to them, this is the parameter that we would like to see on the floors, these are the volumes that we're looking for. These are the benefits that we need to see. Give it your best shot. Supply a tender or an option based on those volumes. Do sampling because it's not as if it's a small tender. It's not as if you're having to go and buy something off the rack. You could manufacture specifically for a tender that large. Yep. Why weren't the government being proactive to do that? Yes, well, that's a very good point, uh, and I tend to agree. They probably should have. And there's a wee bit of disconnect because to, to give the government credit to a degree, down the hallway, so that we're talking about a Ministry of Education tender, there is also down the hall or you know across the building, uh, there is Ministry of Primary Industries. And I have to say I've had quite a bit to do with the Ministry of Primary Industries with regards to wool, and I've met with the head of, my, of the organisation, Ray Smith, and Ray's very, uh, is very receptive on trying to do what he can. And they have... To be fair to the Ministry of Primary Industry, they're investing a lot of money in trying to support young businesses getting into wool and, and doing all this sort of stuff. Just a bit of a disconnect that down the hallway, their colleagues at Ministry of Education didn't see it that way. Yes, I think you did right. They, they And probably, hopefully, Marie, that's the learning out of that whole episode is that we need to be, you know, we need to try and help some of those businesses in New Zealand to put forward, to ensure, and that's the challenge to New Zealand wool industry is we need more options. We need more companies putting forward innovative, good products, and making sure that all the 
supporting data. So it's not just the product. In this day and age with so much compliance and environmental declaration forms and all that, yes, you have to have the right product, but you also have to have all the supporting data that is required in the world that we live in today to allow you to have a seat at the table or at least be an option. Look, unfortunately, that was a commercial tender. It's run its course and the decision has been made. I do see that Brimworth Carpets have come out now saying they are prepared to offer a good deal to schools who really don't want to put in a plastic carpet. So huge congrats to them for putting that forward as an option. And so there is, but I think, so I think this tender itself will be a real learning curve in a case for future. And I hope that what will come out of it, and that's probably, you know, that's part of my role as well, is trying to do more to facilitate between those commercial entities with their woolen products and help them if they have any hurdles or anything to try and connect with those government agencies or indeed commercial businesses that are trying to get into wool. I spend a lot of time doing that, trying to talking to them, trying to connect them up. So look, unfortunately for that specific case, the decision was made. But what I do think it's raised it to a point that going forward, exactly to your point, there'll be a lot more work done to ensure there are some woolen options and natural fibre options there to be able to specify, which is exciting. Mm. Moving forward in terms of innovation, what is some of the innovation that you're seeing starting to happen and some exciting things on the horizon for wool? A good barometer maybe of what's happening with the industry. I mean, I've been in this role for four years, but, you know, it's been so dire and, and there's been such a lack of R&D. But I would say my, just as a, as a, as a small sort of barometer of my involvement in the industry, my phone, Marie, would be ringing 10 times more this year than what it was, say, 18 months ago with people ringing me saying, hey, I'm quite keen to do something with wool. And it may be just, you know, I, I, had, I had someone call me just before I got on with you this morning uh, saying that very thing. Hey, I'm really trying to do something with wool. Who are the right people? Who can I connect? So I spend most of my time sort of connecting them with those things. So I know it's not um, scientific, but I am getting a hell of a lot of inquiry now of businesses. And I think there's a lot of brands globally where, where they're saying, look, that, as I said earlier, the connection to petrochemical-derived product or oil-derived products is starting to become quite a serious risk to brands. And, and I probably say it, even more so for younger consumers. My two daughters are 12 and 10, and they very much know the difference between a natural product, or they certainly know the negatives around plastic, and they do ask and they comment on it quite, whereas maybe we didn't in my generation as kids. We didn't really, it wasn't even on the radar. So, but I think one area where we see some huge potential for New Zealand strong wool. So coming back to the point that strong wool is a thicker fibre, and there are some challenges around maybe getting a thicker fibre against the skin for garments. But one area where we're seeing some huge potential is what we would call in the built environment. So when I say built environment, I mean not just residential homes, but also commercial spaces. And so we're seeing a lot of work there. We're seeing a lot of interest from what I would say is those influences in that space. So architects uh, and interior designers, they're really starting to wake up to that a lot of consumers are saying, no, we don't want to put plastics throughout our homes. We want to put natural fibres and we're prepared to pay for that. So I think that's one area where we're seeing some massive potential there are some business that I know right now who are sort of just on the cusp of starting commercial production to produce some really good options for those built environment spaces. Things like insulation. I mean, I've just built a house here in the Hawke's Bay and I can proudly say that we've put wool throughout it and it feels great. So we're fully, uh, the house is fully insulated with wool insulation. So no fiberglass um, or pink bats in our house. We've got woolen, beautiful woolen carpet from Bremworth. We've got woolen drapes, woolen cushions, even a woolen bed from Big Safe Furniture. So there's a lot of wool in my house. So you can do that. And I think a lot of consumers are starting to want to move in that direction. I think they 
they don't feel good about the fact that they've got their home full of plastics. Yeah, and of course I come from the hand knitting industry, that's that's the day job for me. And I think when you and I had a chat in 2020 and we were looking at, because in hand knitting, predominantly initially the fibres used were more at the fine to medium end of the spectrum, but we've been doing a lot of development around creating hand knitting yarns using stronger wool fibres that actually feel good against the skin. And we've had a huge leap forward in that to the point now that the vast majority of our sales are now derived from those yarns and design is now happening in those yarns and demand is now coming in those yarns. So the whole concept of, oh, I can't have that because it will be scratchy, but when they actually realise Oh, it's it's not as bad as I remember it. And I think there is a hangover from yeah. many, particularly if they were a child in the 70s and they had those things knitted from the carpet yarn yeah. that was left over, you know, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, it yeah, was yeah. scratchy. Your big scratchy homespun jersey was probably, doesn't. yeah. So I think you did right. There is a bit of a hangover from that. But I, as I said, I mean, I, I saw a global fibre report recently which was just on, on global fibres. And it was just interesting because wool and all wool produced globally was only 1% of all fibres produced in the world. So it's tiny, really. And New Zealand's a very small part of that. But I think it's generally accepted that New Zealand's strong wool and the way that we farm in New Zealand, which is um, open, clean air, fresh air, free range farming, is by is the best farming in the world. And the wool quality that we produce is the best in the world. So I think the opportunity for the New Zealand wool industry, we only have a reason, in in the context of global fibres, it's only a very, very, very small amount. So I actually do feel, and I guess that's the message that I, I give out to growers at the moment. So they are really at a low ebb with wool costing a lot of money. But I guess the message I send to growers and any growers listening today is that I actually do think we're on a cusp of a major, a major boost to the wool industry and a major um, renaissance of wool products. And um, and and as I said, I mean it's frustrating. I know a lot of them are really struggling with it at the moment and questioning whether there's a future for wool. But my clear message is there definitely is. We start, but the challenge is, and I, you know, and that's why I'm to the wool industry is we can't continue. You know, if it's not working, you can't expect it to work if you just carry on doing the same things. So we need some good young leadership, and I'm seeing some. You know, even with the campaign for wool, we've got some really good, young, bright people on the board now. We're very focused, you know, marketing and positioning and um, telling stories is so important. We've never seen that really, certainly in the strong wool space. I think I sort of alluded to it before that New Zealand uh, New Zealand Merino has actually done, the New Zealand Merino company has actually done a very good job in New Zealand with Merino fibre. Fiber. So in some ways you could say there's a bit of a blueprint there. They've done well. They've connected with really you know, some of the best brands in the world, whether you're talking like of Allbirds or Icebreaker and some of these really high-end brands, and they've done a good job. So in some ways, there is a bit of a blueprint for the wool for the strong wool industry to connect to brands that are making premium, beautiful products that, that discerning consumers globally want to buy and are prepared to pay a premium. And if we can get that space, which I believe we will, there will be plenty of margin in there right through the supply chain, and particularly for the grower, because they won't grow wool unless there's something in, in it for them. But I do believe that wool as a revenue for strong wool growers is will be back before too long. Mm. So there's a, uh, an election happening soon, in case you hadn't yep. heard. Yep. <laughs> yep. From any of the major parties that potentially look like that they're going to get back inside the tent, has anybody have within policy around making sure that wool has a more solid place, especially in that tender processing when it comes to government contracts? Look, we haven't got anything, you know, confirmed yet. Obviously, it's a little uncertain as what's uh, on, on the way things are going to fall with the election. 
you know, as I said again, and maybe in a little bit of defence of the current government, I have spent quite a bit of time with Damien O'Connor, the Agricultural Minister, and Damien certainly has been supportive of MPI's efforts to do more with the wool industry. Uh, look, I feel very optimistic. Certainly, as I said, that carpet tender was a really good example of how much of a sort of sensitive, to- sensitive topic it is, not only for rural people and farmers producing it, but also for urbanites and every New Zealander who we see a government really leading the charge or telling us they're leading the charge in environmental practices and and dealing to climate change. You can't talk that and then not walk that talk by then specifying plastic all over the place. It just completely undermines your position. So I think the carpet tender um, issue that we saw in the last couple of months is a really good example. We as voters are not stupid. You know, we, we, we can see what we're trying to do. You can't then go and contradict it and do something completely hypocritical. It completely undermines that position. So I think yeah, I feel quite positive that all of the government agencies are, ve- are very aware of it now, and mm. certainly part of my role, Marie, is to ensure that they are, and we keep we keep we keep knocking on the door. I guess. Yeah, yeah, it is such an important issue, and as you said, we want to get that gate farm gate price up, so then farmers aren't actually. This is a, a net positive gain for a farmer, like it used to be, as opposed yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I said, you know, back in the fifties, wool was the was probably the number one export for New Zealand, and it was the backbone of the economy. And as I said, for my grandfather, uh, he was making a lot more money from wool than he was meat. But unfortunately, and then for for many decades, wool and well, sheep farmers were it was a dual income animal. You were getting money for the meat, and you were also getting money for the wool. But unfortunately, and that's and hence my involvement with the campaign for wool was as a disgruntled farmer in two thousand and nineteen. I'm fourth generation farmer. That was the first year ever. For our family, farming sheep in New Zealand, where wool that year we broke even. We didn't make any money out of wool. We just covered costs. But unfortunately, it's got you know since then it's got worse, and it's costing a dollar a kilo. So you know for that that same farm now will be costing somewhere in the vicinity of twenty five to thirty thousand net costs, so an animal health cost just to get the wool off. So that certainly takes the gloss off profitability for sheep sheep farming when you're down to just one revenue stream, meat. And wool has become a sizable, sizable costly business. So yeah, it's very tough. But as I said, if we look at global t- trends, we look at the way the world is starting to move. We look at the way that young consumers are going to be looking to buy. Certainly, discern- discerning consumers. I'm not saying that we're going to see the end of plastics. I think there's always going to be a market for that lower end product. But if New Zealand wool industry can produce and manufacture can, be- can produce beautifully made woolen products that tell that whole story back to the farm gate and how wool is beautifully grown and, and the sustainability and biodegradability stories around wool that complement the environment, we believe the demand will outstrip supply pretty soon. And it's pretty yeah. exciting, to be honest. Oh, no, it is exciting. And hopefully uh, we do see some really – well, I'm seeing positive change certainly in hand knitting. Um, yep. So that is definitely starting to happen. And it's not just here in New Zealand. I mean, from what we're exporting as well, further afield. So it is actually a positive story. Hey, look, I live in an old villa, mate, and we have got an Axminster carpet that has been on the floor in this house for 30-plus years. And prior to that, it was on the floor in a picture theatre for even longer. And it is 100% wool, and it's only just starting to look her age now. So yeah. it just shows that it is forever if you really look after it. No, it was funny, a, a little story. Um, it was kind of amusing. You know, when when we put wall carpet in the house here, we um, we put beautiful loop pile Brimworth carpet. It is beautiful, but it's a very, very light grey colour. And we'd only been in the house, literally only been in the house about two days. And unfortunately, one of our pet cats did a huge uh, vomit on the middle of the carpet in one of the bedrooms. And we rang um, a couple of carpet cleaners. They said, oh, no, no. Wool, you won't. No, you won't get that. You know, if it's a wool carpet, you won't get it out. 
oh, really? So anyway, my wife, Rach, um, gave it a go and, and got it out very easily and you couldn't tell at all. So it's just interesting some of those myths that are around, like a walk mm. up and, oh, no, you can't get a stain out of it. Well, I know firsthand you definitely can. So, so as I said, I mean, wool has got, it's unfortunately, it's just taken a back seat and the petrochemical and plastic industries have portrayed wool as maybe a lesser a lesser option and and, and and promoting the merits of a plastic one. But I think most consumers now are waking up to realise that that's actually not the case. It's the natural products that will complement the environment and, and, and look after our planet going forward. And there's going to be a huge resurgence, I believe, back toward that. Awesome. Hey, look, it's been so good to talk to you this morning. This is Tom O'Sullivan from the Campaign for Wool. Don't disappear. More great content here yet to come with Reality Check Radio. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.